Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. If you brought your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn. It might take a little while to find 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24. It's Old Testament right before 1 Chronicles, right after 1 Chronicles. You'll find Second Chronicles. Look at, uh, there's, a, there's a statement that I want to share with you this morning that I want you to see. Look at, look at the screen. God's work done God's way will have God's supply. Now, you've seen that before. How many of you have seen that before? You've heard that before, right? Uh, you might even live by that principle, correct? Uh, and I'll be honest with you, that, that is just an absolute uh, biblical truth. God's work done God's way will have God's supply. Uh, and, and, and this goes way back. I remember hearing that uh, statement. Man, it's been, been a long time. So this is not, nothing new, you know. Uh, this is, but I thought about it this week, and I, and, and I know this. I know we like stuff to be fresh, right? And we like stuff to be modernized. And so I thought about that statement. I thought to myself, okay, so how can I take that statement and modernize it, right? And, and give it a, you know, just kind of like a, a current contemporary look. And so I, I worked all week on this, and here's, here, here it is. God's work done God's way will have God's supply. So I changed the font. And the reason I did that was for this reason. There are just some things you cannot improve upon. There's no other way to say what's been said, right? I mean, I, I don't know how I could change that to make it more um, current, pointed, right? This will work yesterday. It did work yesterday. It'll work tomorrow, and it certainly will work today. God's work done God's way will have God's supply. Say amen right there. And that, that's not just true of the church, it's true in your life, right? If you allow God to work in your life and, and you do things God's way, uh, you know, in your life, then you will have God's supply. If you live according to His Word, if you live in His will, you know, I talked about that circle of, you know, of life where we just get into God's will and everything we need is right there. No worries. No fuss, no muss. Just get in God's will, and, and you'll have God's supply. That's a great promise, correct? You want Bible? Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. You say, what things? Well, if you read that chapter, the disciples, his team, was kind of concerned. In fact, overly concerned, maybe even overwhelmed with supply. You know, who, who's going to meet our needs? They were worrying about clothing and food and, you know, shelter. And, and the Lord said this, I got you. I got your back. If you just do what I ask you to do, I'll do what I promised to do. So God's work done, God's way will have God's supply. 
Now, here's the key. Here's the truth. In order to have God's supply, you need to do God's work God's way. Does that make sense? Huh? Look at it again. In order to have God's supply, we must do God's work God's way. And that's what you'll see illustrated in this text here uh, of Scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter number 24. Uh, when you begin to read through it, what you'll find is a template. Now, pay attention right here. You'll find a template for how God's work gets done. Think about that with me. How does God's work get done? And that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, that very thing. Uh, when you go to that text of Scripture, let me just highlight a few things before we read it. Okay, what you find in, in 2 Chronicles 24, let me give you commentary. What you find is uh, a, a renovation going on on the Old Testament temple under a fellow named Joash. Joash is the king. We'll read about him in a moment. Uh, the temple at that point in time had, had be, it just kind of kind of went into disarray. And that was under the leadership of a fellow named Athaliah. Athaliah. In fact, in chapter 23, you don't have to read this, but in chapter 23, you'll find that Athaliah was executed. He was a, he was a godless uh, individual. He was king. He was godless. And in, under his leadership, the temple just, it just was in disarray. And so what happens is, as we read in chapter 23 and then in chapter 24, a fellow named Jehoiada, say that with me, Jehoiada. That's an interesting name, Jehoiada. He's the priest. And Jehoiada leads the people of God back to God. In fact, there's a revival that takes place in chapter number 23, and, and, and God's people are getting excited, and it's during this revival where Joash becomes king. And what Joash does is this, during this time of revival where the people are stoked, where the people are right with God, where the people are excited about the things of God, uh, Josiah leads the children of Israel to begin repairs on the temple. Okay? That's commentary on chapter number uh, 24. Let's read a couple of verses together. I'm reading in verse number 21, uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. It says, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zabiah of Beersheba. Now look at, look at verse 2. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Verse, verse 4, and it came to pass after this that Josiah was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests, the Levites, and here's what he said. He said, go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year. And see that ye hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada, the chief, chief priest, and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness? Verse 8, And at the king's commandment they made a chest, and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem, to bring into the Lord, uh, into the Lord, the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. I'm in verse 10 now. Look, look at this. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Go to verse 12. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also such as wrought iron 
and brass to mend the house of the Lord. Verse 14, and when they had finished it, they finished what they started. That's a good thing. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. That's an interesting text of Scripture. I know it's Old Testament. I know it seems to be dated, but it's a very current truth. And what I find there is I read through that that passage, I find kind of like I said a moment ago, I almost find like a template, you know, a pattern uh, that God uses in order to accomplish His work. We ask this question, so how does God's work get done, right? And we find here a template. And what you'll find in this text of Scripture, and we're going to talk about it here in a moment, it seems to be, now pay attention right here, it's a concerted effort God's work is accomplished through a concerted effort. You know what that means? In concert with others, a combination of things. It's not just based on one thing, but there's a number of things that come together for God to accomplish His work. For example, when I, lead, when I read this pas- uh, passage of Scripture, here's what I see. I see strong leadership, strong leadership. God uses strong leadership. I see this. I see sacrificial giving. God uses the sacrificial giving of His people. And then I see faithful workers. You know, when you read through this text, it seems to be, that seems to be the pattern or the template that God uses to accomplish His work. And that's not just in the past. That's very much today. God needs all these uh, aspects to come together so that His work can be accomplished. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just go down that list and just make comment on strong leadership, sacrificial givers, and faithful workers, okay? So let's begin in verse number two, where, where it, talks about, it talks about Joash, and I like this. It says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In order for God's work to be accomplished, God's work needs strong leadership. Say that with me. God's work needs strong leadership. And that's what you find in this passage of Scripture. You have two fellows kind of leading the charge. You have Joash, who was the king, and Jehoiada, who was the priest. And God uses these two men to get the work started. And there are several things that I read, we read a little bit ago, that kind of speak to me about the qualities of strong leadership. May I point them out for us? I want you to look first at that, te- at that text and that statement in verse number 2, where he talks about, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And I like to say this, strong leaders, strong leaders walk with God. Amen. Strong leaders walk with God. And, and that's, that's what it says here in that text. Uh, we're told that this Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I often think about the 23rd Psalm, one of my favorites. I quote it almost every day, mentally, you know. And I like that part in verse number 3 where it says, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In other words, in other words, if you're following God, if you're walking with the Lord, what He does, He leads us to do right. Say amen right there. If you're walking with God, God is going to lead you. He's going to lead us to do that which is right. And certainly you would think that someone who is a leader, you know, in God's economy, 
and we would say the church, someone who's a strong leader in God's economy is an individual who's going to walk with God. He's going to do what's right. He's going to live right. Wouldn't you agree? And I think that's just one, that's just one of the uh, qualities of strong leadership. They walk with God. A, a second thing I, I noticed was this. Look at verse number four. Verse four. It says, and it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And I, I, I kind of I wrote this down about strong leadership. They're mindful. They come to an understanding. They seek the Lord and they ask the Lord to give them vision. You hear that word a lot around churches like this, right? Give me vision, Lord. Help me to see. You know what that is? It's a prayer saying, Lord, help me to see just what it is you want to get accomplished. And I would say this, strong leaders are individuals, men, women, who have caught a vision uh, from God on what he wants to get accomplished. And what they then do is they look to God for leadership and direction so they can be a part of advancing God's kingdom. By the way, let me say this right up front. Everything I say this morning is said with an agenda. I'm trying to lead us to the end of this message to where we can jump into this project and each one of us do our part. Amen. Amen. Right? And so we're going to get to you in a moment. I'm speaking about me here. Strong leadership. We'll get to you in just a second. Uh, and then, then I, I noticed this. Look at verse 5. Strong leadership. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and send unto them, go out into the cities of Judah and gather all. What's he doing here? Hey, look here. Strong leadership. Uh, he understands. Strong leader understands that it's a team effort. You know, it's not a one-man show. No, no. God's work is never accomplished just by one person. It might be one person, you know, as you, God uses as a spark, but it's always, it's always accomplished, you know, through a team effort. You think about Jesus as he gathers his team in the New Testament, right? And they go off and they do ministry. And he trains them because he's going to depart, and he leaves the ministry in their lap. And what happens? Man, they cover the world with the gospel. And as a result, we're here today. And so strong leaders understand uh, that, that the project depends upon every person on the team uh, fulfilling their role. And I would trust you understand today that you're a member of the team, Amen. right? And so strong leaders need to understand that everybody's important, and we need everybody to take up their responsibility and do their part. A strong leader knows that. It's not a one-man show. And then finally, I see in verse number six this. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the money, the offering, the collection? As, as Moses commanded. And I wrote this down in my notes, a strong leader inspects what he expects. Amen. Did you get that? A strong leader inspects what he expects. He's not a micromanager. I mean, he doesn't try to, you know, uh, guide every little aspect of the project. However, he sets things in motion. He has an expected end, and then he makes sure he keeps his eye on the project. He oversees the project. He's an overseer of the project. Are you with me? That's strong leadership, making sure that everybody's just doing their part. I can't do your part for you, but I'm going to motivate you to do your part and try to come alongside of you and just continue to support you in doing your part. That's strong leadership. And when you look at how God's work is accomplished, you'll notice that he always uses strong leadership as a part of that. But that's not all of it. Because as we read on, we notice this, that God uses uh, sacrificial givers and giving as a part of it. 
Look at verse 10. I like verse 10. You don't always see verse 10 happen in a general assembly. And all the princes, it's all the leaders, and all the people, what's that next word? Rejoiced. They rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Wow. How about that? All the people rejoiced. Uh, I, think, I think if I were to kind of put a summary on this, Josiah comes up with a method for the money to go to the workers. And everyone, you know, begins to, I mean, the, look here, the, it says the princes and, and, and all the people, all the people. That was teenagers as well. And senior citizens as well. All the people, it says, got involved and rejoiced and participated generously until the project was completed. And this is unusual. This is unusual. But they have leftovers. There's money left over. And so everybody came for the rebate check. <laughs> you know, they want they to give me, give me. No, 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 no. No, what happens is they then take that money, turn it over, and use it for the vessels. They put that to work as well. It's amazing what you can do when everybody does their part. Amen. Right? Isn't that neat? But I want you to notice something about verse number 10. Verse 10 is unusual to me because you usually don't find people rejoicing when it comes to giving. Huh? Right? Every church has members that we would label hump the grump. You know, when it comes to taking off, and brother, brother, uh, I was talking to the preacher the other day about this offering. He said, hey, when's that, that, that lot, the special offering for the parking lot? And I told him when it was. He says, you know, years ago, he said, we used to have a, uh, we used to have a, a Paycheck Sunday offering, you know, and it would run for the month of whatever, Paycheck Sunday. And he said, you know, there were certain individuals that always missed church on Paycheck Sunday. <laughs> and I said, it's amazing how consistent we can be when we want to be. As Christians, right? Always missed on Paycheck Sunday. You know, no, we don't have Paycheck Sunday. We're just doing a lot of love offering. And if you put your whole paycheck in, well, God bless you. Don't tell your wife, but God bless you, you know. Uh, but uh, but it, it amazes me that these people are rejoicing. And they gave until the project was complete. They just kept giving, you know. That's, that's neat, isn't it? And, and, and that's why, look here, and, and that's, that's something I see here. These people were rejoicing because they got to participate in the offering. They got to do it. They got to do it. And that's unusual, isn't it? I think it goes along with what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, where God loves a cheerful giver. Right? I mean, if you're going to give, you know, you're giving to God, I understand the fact that it's a wonderful thing. I like that, don't you? But I want you to hear this statement. I want you to hear it well. Listen to this carefully, please. It's a great step in the Christian faith when we move from have to to want to. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. It's a great step in the Christian faith when you and I, when we move from I have to do this to I want to do this. That changes everything. Motivation is key, you know, when it comes to serving the Lord, loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord, experiencing the Lord. I, it's not that I have to, but I get to. I want to. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Uh, we no longer need to be coerced to do right. Beat over the head. Uh, man, we're taking this offer. All I'm going to hear for the next six months is pastor in the pulpit saying, hey, you got to give, you got to give. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you how you can get me from stop saying that. Give it all today. Amen. Get it over. I won't mention it again. 
for the next six months, we'll just praise God. Huh? See, there's no other way to do it, right? You, you notice here that jo- Joash didn't say, I want you to go set up in the community amongst all the other nations these little offering buckets that says, Re- you know, repair the temple. And let's collect money. No, it didn't happen that way. He didn't say, let's take the first Saturday every month and have a flea market or a, a yard sale or a garage sale or a temple sale. No, no, he wasn't relying on that. What he said is, look here, God's work done God's way will have God's supply, and God will give us what he wants us to give. Right? And the people got excited, and they said, man, we get to participate in this project. I'm so glad. No longer do I need to be coerced into doing right. I want to do this. I get to do this. But that's a great thing. This congregation was excited that they got to participate in this great project. Huh? Let me tell you something about giving. Look at this next verse. Look at 2 Chronicles with me, chapter 9, verse 10. Look at the screen. The Bible says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower. You know who that is? That's God. He that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed and increase, increase the fruits of your righteousness. Do you see that? And let, me, let me give you commentary on that. In essence, God supplies to us what he wants us to give and more look he that ministers seed to the sower who is it that gives us look here whether you agree with this or not i believe this everything i have i have because god gave it to me whatever i do that is worth anything for eternity i do because he permits me and enables me it all goes back to him Right? So, look here. He that ministers seed to the sower, God gives us what he wants us to give. However, he wants us to enjoy it, and so he allows us to give it by faith. So, what's that mean? Here's what that means. It means he doesn't give it to you up front. I was waiting all night last night for God to show up and give me what he wanted me to give today. But you know what he gave me instead? He gave me a number. He said, this is what I want you to give. But I said, but I thought you were going to give it to me. He said, and he said, I, I will. You just need to give it. It'll come. It'll come. He wants us to enjoy the experience of trusting him by faith. And just like he promised, he'll not only minister seed, but he'll give you bread and multiply your seed and increase your fruits of righteousness. That's above and beyond. See, those of us who have learned the principle of giving, we've come to understand this, that you, can, you just cannot outgive God. Amen. And if you become a vessel or a conduit, you know, for God, God will use you. I mean, he'll just supply you, and so you, you, you just become like the source or, or, or the reciprocal where God just works through. I like being that. Huh? I remember when I first got saved going to church, Every once in a while, somebody would come up to me, and they would say this. They'd say, would you do me a favor? Would you give this money to that person over there, but don't tell them where it came from? And I'd say, sure. And it was just an envelope with some money in it. I had no idea how much was in it. There was no name on it, where it came from, where it was going. And and they just said, I just want to be a blessing to that person. And I'll be honest with you, that happened to me often. And I was in the ministry back then, you know, youth pastor, assistant pastor. And so people would come over, and they'd say, hey, would you make sure? And, And I kind of became like a facilitator. (laughs) <laughs> you know? And I would make sure when I would give it to him, I would say, hey, listen, somebody gave this to me for you. This is not for me. This is from somebody else they wanted me to get. They just don't want you to know who, who it is. 
And I did that often, Peter. And you know what? Man, I got to the place where I said, you know what, Lord? I want to be the person that you give money to to give to somebody else. Huh? I I mean, I want to be the first stop, right? You know, because there's a couple of moving parts and all of that. I want to be the first stop. You know what he said to me? He said, well, then I'm going to have to be able to trust you with what I give you. You know why God doesn't give it to us sometimes? Maybe because he can't trust us with it. Huh? Because sometimes, I think this, sometimes people who have it will say this, well, now I've got to make sure I maintain it properly. And uh, you have a need, uh, Nathan. Well, let me, let me ask you these five questions to see if you qualify to meet this. No, that's not the way it works. You know, when God says, here's something that needs to go to so-and-so, you just need to be the vessel. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and that's where you get into this, this sacrificial giving to where you understand, you know, that God is giving it to me so that I might just move it along. I might be a facilitator of it. It's not for me to hoard or keep in my, my coffers. No, it's just for me to get it out. Are you with me? Sacrificial, sacrificial giving. And I think this, I think God works to, to get things done, you know, through our own giving. And I appreciate the fact that he loves me. Because, because the Lord loves me, I love him. And, and, and since I love him, I love his work. Right? And the work I'm talking about is the local church. And I believe we need to support our church and its ministries. And so, and so we need both a concerted effort of strong leadership and sacrificial givers. And then finally, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that there was the need for faithful workers. Look at, uh, look at verse number 12 with me. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also uh, such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. In other words, they needed, they needed a workforce. They needed a workforce. The money was raised. It was then given to the workers, and then the workers went out, and they accomplished the goal. Everyone has a vital part in God's work. Everyone does. You do. I do. I'm not sure if you often, how often you stop and think about, think about the mechanics of our ministry. So what's the mechanics? It's the behind-the-scenes things, the things that you don't see. You show up on a Sunday, thank the Lord, and you walk into a building that is lit up well, clean. I mean, you go into our restrooms, anywhere on the property, it is properly maintained, you know, uh, and then you come into a service, and, and there's a choir that gets up and sings, and a worship team that leads, and musicians who, you know, play. You go into a classroom, and there's a person who's teaching, and there's people there to assist. You walk into our coffee nook, and our gathering grounds, and there's coffee made, and, and you know what happens? Listen, Tyler shows up, on Sunday morning at, we, we usually, what time do you usually get here? About 9.30. He shows up about 9 o'clock and he flips the switch. And everything just happens. Coffee brews, teachers show up, <laughs> choir sings, and God just puts it all together for us. You know? No, that's not the way it works. Ministry, ministry takes work. And, and there's a concerted effort of planning and preparation and prayer and time and effort and sacrifice that all goes on behind the scenes. Hello? It all goes on behind the scenes. Choir rehearses, and the musicians, they rehearse, and, and the teachers study, and, and the coffee maker makes the coffee. Hello? 
and the building uh, maintenance crew maintains the buildings, and, and it all goes on behind the scenes, and we don't, we don't usually see that. Now, if you show up here in certain days, you might see people cleaning and people preparing, and, but that's all behind, that's the mechanics of ministry. Are you with me? Huh? Uh, everybody working together to accomplish God's work, but it also takes funding. It takes funding. Uh, for example, you may not be a teacher, but your faithful giving helps us to purchase the curriculum. And you may not be one of our musicians, but your faithful giving helps us to purchase the music. Right? You see how that works? Uh, you, you may not be in our media department, thank the Lord for those, those men and women up there, but your giving helps us to uh, maintain. I mean, you got all the screens and all the different things. We're live streaming so that people that are shut in uh, and people wherever don't have a church can watch. You help support that. Uh, you may not uh, work in the building maintenance program mm, department, um, but your faithful giving helps us to maintain these buildings and buy the supplies. Isn't it awesome to go into the restroom and be able to have products to use while you're in there? Wouldn't it be terrible if in the bulletin said, please bring your own next week? <laughs> we'll have enough money to buy the products. No, your faithful giving helps supply that. You may, not, you may not work in our offices or be on our staff, but your faithful giving helps us to have a working office and a full-time staff to manage the needs of Open Bible Baptist Church. What am I saying? I'm saying this. We all have a part. Some are leaders. Some are workers. Some are givers. Some are all of the above. But we all have to do our part. That's how God's work gets done. It's a concerted effort. Are you with me? And that's what it takes, and it takes a lot of work to get it done. I want you to notice the result. Notice the result. It says in verse number 14, and when they had finished it. I like that. Isn't it wonderful to finish what you start? There's so many flat, you know, you ever hear that flash in the pan? Yeah, you start this, but you never finish it. You know, I like finishing a project once you get it started. They finished it, and they brought the rest of the money. They had some leftovers. They brought it to the king in Jehoiada, whereof were made, and they began to make the vessels for the house of the Lord. And look right in the middle, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. And so the, the temple was repaired. They needed to repair the physical. Who cares about a parking lot? I mean, so what we go into classrooms that need to be painted? You know, all the walls are patched up. Light bulbs are out. It's just buildings. We're going to heaven anyway. Why spend so much money on these? They're God's buildings. This property's God's. And, and it needs to be a lighthouse, and people need to see that the people of God care about that which is God's. Amen? Is it all going to burn up one day? It will, because that's just the way it's gone, you know, but not today. And while we have it today, we need to take good care of it, right? And that's what Joash, king of Israel, says. We need to make these repairs, and once we make these repairs, we'll be able to use that building for what it was established for, what? Worship. Worship. Now they're worshiping the Lord, offering burnt offerings continually. Isn't that wonderful? And so, and so the offerings are an act of worship, a sweet-smelling sm savor unto the Lord, and that didn't occur until that temple was restored. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying we, we can't worship God properly unless we get that parking lot restored. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I am saying this, it's a part of God's building, and we need to make sure we maintain that. And I believe it's important for us to do that. And so, vision needs to be fulfilled. And today, I'm praying, I'm hoping, I've been praying, we've been praying as a church that you're willing to participate in this great project. Why? Because we get to. We get to. I'll finish with this testimony. In 1990, I was pastoring a church in Philadelphia. We were meeting in a building that uh, had a really nice property, meeting in the building that was built. Now, pay attention to this number. The building that we were meeting in was built in 1723. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's old. It was, a, it, was, it, was, it was a registered historical building in the city of Philadelphia. You know, we were in that registry. And, and we were outgrowing it, and, and we made modifications and all that kind of stuff. And in 1990, we determined that we were going to have to build a building. Thank the Lord we had enough ground on the property to build. And so we set out. We got the plans and everything made, and we got the, the price for the building. We built a 500-seat auditorium. Uh, right on that property, connected it to that, the other building, and so on and so forth. But then, Tony, we had to raise the money. And we wanted to do it without having to borrow money from the bank, you know? And so, here's what we did. You know, we had a goal, we had the price, we had the goal, and, and I had my grandfather, by the way, um, built for me a replica of the building, in model form, and the, and the roof would come off. And so, um, I'm not sure if it was every Sunday, but at least one Sunday a month, could have been two Sundays a month, we would have a building fund offering. And what we would do is we would wheel out that model building, and I'd take the roof off, you know? And then we'd sing a song. I don't remember. A little as much when God is in it. I think that's what we used to sing. A little as much when God is in it. And people would leave their seat, and they would come up and put into that building. And then afterward, our ushers, our, our deacons, our ushers, they would take the money, and they would go count it, and then I would come back next service, maybe that evening, and give a report to our people. There were times when, when I would say, hey, there's a $5,000 check in there today. Sometimes I'd say, hey, look, a bag of pennies. Hey, look, a $25,000 check today. Hey, look, a $100,000 check today. Yeah, I'm not, that, that's all true. That's all true, right, Donna? That's all true. Hey, a $10,000 check today. Hey, look, rolled up dollar bills today. Here's a five, here's a 20. And guess what? We built that building. We moved into it in 1994, debt-free, paid for it in cash by the giving of our people. Uh, started the vision of it in 1990, started preparation work for it. And then all of a sudden, 1992, we started the fundraising. We got all the contracting and all the subcontracting, all that kind of stuff together. And uh, in, when was that, May? I don't remember when it was. It was summertime, maybe, in 1994, we moved in to that building. Huh? Listen, when I took the church over there in, uh, in, in 1988, we had 35 in Sunday school, 35 in that small building. And it began to grow. First year, we had 125 in Sunday school. Knocked out a wall. Within two years, we were running 250, Bob, in Sunday school. We didn't have any more walls to knock out. It's true, when your building gets to a certain maximum capacity, you can't grow anymore. People won't come in. You know? And so that's when we decided to, 
to build that. We built that. 1994, very first Sunday, 312 in Sunday school. First Sunday. First Sunday. By 1998, by 1990, in Sunday school. That's facts. So guess what we had to do? We had to move. Couldn't build any bigger on that property, so we had to sell it, and we moved. And God blessed and blessed and blessed because the people just kept excited. They wanted to see what God can do. They wanted to be a part of something larger than themselves. I'll never forget one Thanksgiving. I preached the message, and I entitled it, I Saw God Do It. I saw God do it. And I could have came back the next week and preached, and I was a part of it. And I was a part of it. I want you to see what God can do, and I want you to be a part of it. Nothing like, it's exciting. Amen? And so in just a little bit, we're going to take the lot of love offering. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is today, but we'll tell you next week how much we raised today. We need to raise a total of, of about $325,000, you know. So I'm not sure how much we're going to raise today, but over the next several months, we need to raise up at least $325,000 to pay that off and be finished with it. All new paving from front to back, all new lighting, all new sidewalks, all new striping. Amen? Uh, if you want to have your name on your parking spot, that's an extra thousand. <laughs> but we can't guarantee that somebody won't park there. But at least your name will be there. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? I pray that you do your best. Your best and somebody else's best may completely different. But if you do your best, I do my best. If we do our best, we know we'll have God's supply. God's work done God's way will have God's supply. Amen? Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.